Thank you again for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Zvi Hirschfeld and Aviva Lauer in a conversation about Parashat Emor. To get the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem, visit us at elmod.pardes.org. And now, here it's Svi and Aviva. Hello, everyone. All those of you who are listening, this is a Pardes Parsha podcast. That's a lot of P sounds to say one after the other, but I managed. Uh, my name is Svi Hirschfeld. It's been my privilege to be a teacher here at Pardes for over 20 years, and it's also my privilege to have a Parsha conversation with Aviva Lauer, who, in addition to being an outstanding Torah teacher, is also the director of the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators, uh, and it's our privilege to uh, discuss the Parsha with you. Hello, Aviva. Hello, Tzvi. I am so glad to be discussing the Parsha with you today. Okay, so we are going to be discussing Parshat Emor. That is what we are up to in our uh, Israeli cycle of Torah reading. Those of you listening from the States, might this might be a great way to anticipate uh, what's coming up next. So uh, let's just jump right in. So Aviva, there are a lot of things happening in this uh, Parsha. What uh, jumps out at you? Well, I would say there are two things that jump out at me, one of which we are not going to talk about, okay. and that is um, a lot of text at the beginning of the Parsha about people, Kohanim, who are not allowed to be part of the temple service because they have some kind of blemish. We're not talking about that today. Sorry, we're not going We're not going to have a blemishes conversation. However, I do really want to just, um, I want there to be a shout out to this amazing four-hour play that I saw about 20, the truth is I didn't see the four-hour version. I saw the shorter version, but it was called Vayomer Vayelech by the amazing artist and choreographer Rina Yerushalmi. And it was through movement talking about the Bible and there was a whole section called Mumbo, as in there is a blemish in him. It was overwhelming and disturbing and Oh, right. We're not talking about that. That's correct. But those of you might want to tune in next year, because it looks like we now have a topic for Aviva's Parsha podcast, Next Parsha at Emor. So stay tuned. But what we will be talking about today is something that I am equally passionate about, and that is the cycle of holidays of Chagim. Um, In Parshat Emor, we have one of the several lists of the Jewish holidays that we find in the Torah, and there are some really interesting distinctions in each list, why that list is special and is, in in fact, why would we need so many lists if they were not distinct and had their own special twist? So in Parshat Emor, we have um, a really nice, unique list with unique distinctions, and we'll talk about what that means. Okay, we're excited, especially for those of us who might encounter this list, and there's there's discussions of sacrifices brought in the temple, and, and we don't recognize some of, the, some of the things. There's no mention by Shavuot, for example, of eating dairy or staying up all night learning. So or some of us might encounter this, as, or getting the Torah. That's another one that doesn't appear. So some of us might look at this list and feel like, well, this is a nice list, but I'm struggling to connect how, how is encountering this list going to deepen our appreciation or experience of the Chag? So 
what's interesting is in some of these lists that we find in the Chumash, we have a focus solely on the agricultural uh, provenance of the holidays. In some of these lists, it's much more about the historical look at the holidays, what happened in our national history that, uh, that we're celebrating or commemorating or memorializing, I guess you could use that word as well. In this list in Parshat Emor in chapter 23 uh, of the book of Vayikra of Leviticus, we have a combination, almost a double header to use the language, another shout out, this is my final shout out I think of today, um, to Menachem Liebtag, Rabbi Menachem Liebtag, who, from whom I learned, um, you know, I think he organized the Torah for me in certain ways in terms of the holidays and being able to map out visually what's doing what, where, and why about these lists. So he talks about the double header of looking at um, both the agricultural reasoning rationale for the holidays and the historical. So if you go through the list, you'll find for most of these holidays, a double-pronged explanation for why we are celebrating. So by agricultural, I'm, I'm just going to fill that in. You mean that the, the holiday is built around either planting or uh, harvesting or collecting, something that the farmers in the land of Israel connected to that yearly cycle are a part of. And by historical, you mean some kind of event, a great event uh, that happened in our past. Yes, exactly. I mean, as an agrarian society way back when, 3,000 years ago, um, people, their livelihood, they were living on the crops and produce that they raised. So thinking about, thinking ahead, God, please make sure that we're going to have a harvest that's going to land this year. You know, please don't send uh, a plague of locusts and destroy our food for the next several months. Um, thinking about those times in the year where it's imperative that things work, those are the agricultural moments that we are commemorating um, in, in this uh, in, in an agricultural cycle of holidays. And maybe just being excited it did work. Yeah. Wow, you know, um, I'm feeling so blessed. I'm so happy. Thank you for the harvest. Thank you for the harvest. Is there an example here that jumps out at you where you where those of us following along with our, our uh, Bibles open uh, can see what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, you brought this up before that when we were talking pre-podcast pre, uh, recording. We do speak outside of the podcast, that is true. We do. Um, so in chapter 23, um, there is the discussion of the holiday of Sukkot. And in this is starts with Pasuk Lamed Gimel, verse 33 and it's it's a, a long text and it, you see on the one hand um talk of near the end why do we celebrate this holiday because in Sukkot in booths um those that that is where um we that is where our ancestors lived when they left Egypt and were living in the desert for 40 years so it is a it is a historical um callback to something that happened in our national collective consciousness, and we're sort of remembering it, thanking God, I guess, for keeping us alive during those 40 years, something like that. And then there's also, alternatively, 
um, a completely different description of what this holiday is about. And it is the holiday where we are essentially finishing the cycle of harvest um, for the year. It's, it's the time where um, the, the grain harvest is totally ending and we're moving into, you know, just, there's a few more fruit um, harvest crops that are that are that are coming up but it's a thank you so much for everything that that we um, were able to harvest this year god and please help us let's think about the need for rain for this this upcoming year so that's very personal um you know intimate today i need to make sure that i have my livelihood today so there's really from what you described this like split screen going on right if i'm looking at the verses correctly the way you just outlined it I'm holding my lulav and etrog, my four species, and I'm thinking about my harvest. And maybe I'm both grateful for that harvest, and I'm also expressing concern or a desire for the rain, for the upcoming rainy season. And I'm living in this agricultural cycle, which is including both this element of gratitude and worry. And yet I'm also sitting in my booth, in a way, the opposite experience of the farmer. I'm remembering living in a desert where God took care of all of my needs in this very direct way, uh, but I'm projecting something very much in the past. So I'm both being both very present and looking backward at the same time. Yes, I think that's true. I mean, I we would have to go through all of the different holidays. To Which see. we can do. We will yeah. extend this podcast if we need to. Right. We're going to turn it into a 20... Uh, a three-parter, everyone. Oh, oh, I was Actually, say no, I don't think Alex will give us permission for that. <laughs> we might have to just do what we can do now. Right. Um, so... Yeah, so we're going to leave the other holidays, but if we're going to continue just with Sukkot for a while, I think that there's definitely a connection between the feeling um, that we have when we're imagining and going back 3,000 years to uh, God took care of us, um, we're vulnerable, God, please take care of us, you know, in in the modern day. I mean, I think that there's there really is this a, a connection between those two pieces that through line there is we are vulnerable we know we're going to be vulnerable god we are trusting you to take care of us and we're asking you to take care of us so the historical lesson and the agricultural lesson kind of merge in this case in sukkot yeah i think it would be fascinating to do this three-parter alex israel and see how it so you're saying that the the, the message there of dependence upon God, of needing God, of gratitude towards God, we're expressing that both through uh, an awareness of our history and through our day-to-day agricultural lives. Right. And as a very experiential religion, the message is also in the ritual, in the activities that we're doing. We're sitting outside in a place, you know, when you're outside, you are vulnerable to anything that comes along. And we're actually concretely giving ourselves the feeling of we are open to the elements and we are looking to God to make sure that we are safe from the elements. And the same thing with the, the Lulav and Etrog. We're holding together the the examples, the the actual objects of produce right and we are pointing them in the different directions and saying god you're there and you're there and you're there and you're there we need you to be with us surrounding us at all times and maybe we're also grateful for that you maybe you've done it in the past so we're hoping you're going to continue absolutely 
So let me ask you the question I'm sure everyone, all of your students are going to ask you. Once you've built up the agricultural experiential side, and you just said you're an experiential person, I'm going to confess I don't grow any of my four species on my own. I like buy them somewhere. You like buy them. I like similar to buy them. <laughs> I'm trying to sound hip and cool. Uh, similar to the act of buying them, that is what I do as well. And I'm going to admit that's true of like almost all the fruit and vegetables, like maybe except for some like little herb garden that I might have outside that I take from. I don't live an agricultural life. Do like you I'm have an so herb removed. I don't even have. No, I had. We have some thyme growing out oh, that's there. Nice. That's I about like it. Mm -hmm. uh, time passes. Thank you, everyone. A little pun for your listening enjoyment. But I want to come back to something that you said earlier. What do I do? How do I connect when the historical side I get, I can project myself backward, but how do I connect to, to the, the sense of both gratitude and anticipation and excitement when I'm not living the agricultural life? I'm not a farmer. Well, I've got to say, I'm really impressed that you can feel the historical. I think. Well, I aspire. At least I can try. Right. I mean, on Pesach, we're always asking, right. you know, we're expected to act as if we left Egypt, but like, um, yeah, I never went I to Egypt and I've thank God never been a slave personally. That's true. Um, so although it's Yom HaShoah, I've got to say my grandparents were, but, and that's actually what we do. I can't really connect myself historically, um, easily to leaving Egypt. But if I think about my grandparents who were slaves, then I can connect myself. Well, we're going to have to come back to that because we are taping this in Yom HaShoah, so I want to hear more of your thoughts on that. Yeah, but actually you're hearing this right before Yom HaAtzma'ut, and that's a totally different uh, kind of day. So I'm impressed that you can connect yourself to the historical under, uh, underpinnings of our holidays, and you're asking how can we connect ourselves to the agricultural when we are not agricultural people. Um, yeah, that's, that's the question. That is the question. And the way I try to handle this is I like to go back. I like to work backwards almost, right? If we know that the goal of Sukkot, for example, is for us to be grateful and look ahead and ask God to take care of us the same way that God took care of us this last year, um, if that's the agricultural goal there. I like to think about that in terms of my life today. What is it that I'm grateful for in my life that is not an agricultural one um, to God? And what do I need to ask God for? And I, I, uh, I'm sort of um, applying it. I'm going backwards, taking the goal and then thinking about it completely devoid of the agricultural nature um, of the holiday. Obviously, I'm going to use the same experiential um, objects. And I'm wondering if there, you know, there are definitely ways to think about those experiential objects vis-a-vis -vis my uh, spiritual connection to God that is not an agricultural one. But yeah, I, I definitely have to do the work of thinking about what the message is and then applying that message to my life and going from there. So we have like a bigger hurdle, basically, if I understand, uh, in the sense that, so now we're one step removed. We're not out there farming. We don't have that sense of immediacy. But what you're saying is that the tools, the lulav and etrog, for example, uh, can get us there in a different way. We can make a personal connection. So I'm, I'm curious, when you hold a lulav and etrog, 
what do they symbolize for you? Since they're not symbolizing uh, your the, the massive tracts of land that you are farming and growing and watering and, and doing everything else, uh, what do they symbolize for you? Well, I'm going to give you two answers. One is that you and I, Tzvi, in a sense, we're, we're really lucky because we live in the land of Israel, and while we ourselves are not farmers, we're very aware, I think, at least, I mean, I think the group of the group of friends that we all live in we're aware of the rain cycle and we're aware of the crops that our farmers not us but our farmers are are growing for us so we're a little bit closer than maybe other places in the world um so that doesn't really help our listeners out there though so that was just well you have some local listeners yeah yay us but the second answer which i think is probably the most important answer when I hold, uh, okay, you have to be thinking of your answer too. Okay. I'm gonna talk about what I and the, what I think about when I hold the lulav and etrog, and then you need to tell tell us as well. I really do um, connect with this God is here, God is there, God is everywhere kind of feeling. I like pointing in the different directions and thinking, yeah, God's got my back. God is to my right and walking with me. But I think maybe um, that's not the easiest thing to do. I don't know. I like that idea. The lulav is like a pointer. It's oh, like yes. a, a finder. You know, God is right where I'm pointing at. And I point in all those directions and I'm shaking because I'm aware of that presence or I'm excited and dancing because God's all around me. Or I'm saying, I really need this. See, nobody can see me because I'm... This is a podcast and not a video. But she but is shaking. I am shaking my hands like, please, please, please. I need you to be here for me. That is beautiful. So I will tell you how I connect to it. I think I like yours better. I might take yours for future use. But I connect or I try to connect. The fact that the lulav, according to Halachai, has to belong to us day one. So I've always thought of the challenge of the lulav, both literally and figuratively. The literal one is not to look at other people's etrog and lulav, right? And not to be like, ah, that guy got a nicer etrog, that person got a better lulav, that person knows how to hold it better, that person tied it up much nicer, right? The idea that this is mine, I have to rejoice in what's mine without looking at what other people are. And so I try to think of the lulav as like an expression of, okay, this is my life right here. Uh, and often I'm very good at seeing the blemishes, bringing us back to where you started. Nice. And here I've got to find hidur, hadar, right? It's got, it's got to be of a beautiful tree. And I have to figure out some way to see my life is beautiful, uh, even when it doesn't always look that way to me all the time. So you are really being sameach bechel kecha. You are being I'm trying. happy and satisfied with your lot on the holiday where you are told to be happy. Yeah, which is a hard thing. Like, what does it mean to tell somebody to be happy? But I think you've given us a real help here that, first of all, we can be happy over things that have happened to our people in the past, right? Celebrating uh, past. But also what you're saying is figuring out a way to celebrate the present. And even if I am struggling to connect with celebrating my crops, which I don't have, although as you pointed out, you could take a ride for 20 minutes and, and go see crops, but really translating that into being something that's tangible or real for me in the moment. Good. Good. Okay. 
So now I, I must ask you, based on what you've laid out, which I think is a very big challenge, which is not to just go through the motions of these holidays and focus on the practices, but try the to make a motions. connection. You did. She's doing the motions again, everybody. I promise. Uh, so we're now in the, another cycle of contemporary holy times. Uh, today is Yom HaShoah. Next week, Yom HaZikron and Yom HaTzma'ut. Uh, what is this time of year like for you? as holidays, as a time of holy days? Yeah, I mean, we, again, we could do another three-part series on this, but, um, well, I'll just give you, I'll give you an example of how I was feeling so far today. Uh, Yom HaShoah is, in a sense, a very hard day for everyone, I guess. It's a very hard day for me in the sense that I don't ever want to do Yom HaShoah. Mm. We used to say in my family, every day is Yom HaShoah, um, and therefore, on the actual day, I'm like, we don't need a special day. Every day is Yom HaShoah. But today, um, I was walking to work when the siren went off. I mean, I knew that was going to be happening, 10 a.m. And I stood um, on the side of the road, and there were some trucks that were still driving through the siren. And then the cars stopped, and people got out. And my immediate reaction was to start weeping of course I'm a crier I cry but it surprises me every time and and of course um you know it's been two years of COVID and I haven't worn eye makeup because you know who wears makeup when you when when during COVID and I this is like maybe the second time that I put makeup on and I'm crying there and my eye makeup you know blackening my face but what was I so happy about my thought was thank you so much for caring about my family that you stopped now, wow. my family, it's not my family. They don't know my grandparents and their families, but it's our big family. Thank you so much for thinking about our big family, but I really did feel it in a very uh, intimate, familial way and was thinking about, about my family. But in what moved you is a sense that everybody was thinking about your family. You weren't alone in thinking about your family, but we're all thinking about your family. Right, and which, I was thinking about their family too. Which I guess is the power of having that shared day as opposed to everybody doing it on their own in their own way. We have this moment of doing it all together. Yeah. And how does this speak to next week for you with Yom HaZikron and Yom HaTzmaut coming up? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Um, Which actually for many listeners will be when you're listening to this. Yeah. Well, for me, Yom HaZikron has been one thing until now, which is... For the past 20 years, thinking about a relative who was killed in a terrorist attack. Right. And this year, my son is going into the army. And that is where my head is going to be. Um, this Yom Hazikaron. He won't be listening to this. Don't worry. So he won't know. Um, but I assume a lot of people are thinking, on the one hand, very personally. And a lot of people, are, on the other hand, are thinking about our country. Uh, for me, it's going to be very personal this year. Is there also, what, what do you make of that transition going from those scary, sad feelings right into Yom Ha'atzmaut and, and a celebration? How do you do that? It feels a little bit, it feels a little bit like we shouldn't be doing it. Like I feel a little bit bad when I get happy. You know, that moment where you allow yourself to get happy. But what we always do in our family, we actually do not go to a special tefillah. We watch the national ceremony on TV. That's a very big 
uh, thing for us. It's our personal family um, tradition. And they do a very, they, our government, our, our country does a very good job of in a very solemn way with a lot of gravitas move from the import of Yom HaZikaron to the import of Yom HaAtzmaut. So it works for you? It works well. Wow. So I, I have to say, I'm just going to share with you a couple takeaways that I, I am personally going to try to take away from this conversation. Number one, uh, all these rituals that we have for these holidays are not there to hide behind, but we actually have to try to engage personally, even when it's difficult, even when we're not farmers, even when, as you said before, I'm struggling, I've never been a slave, it's hard to go back to Egypt, uh, I, I never lived in the desert in a hut, at least for an extended period of time. Uh, and from what you're telling us, that uh, it's difficult, but we have to push through, and we have to find a link between our personal story and this national story that we're that we're telling or that we're experiencing or being a part of, uh, which is a great challenge. And I think I, I, for one personally, I think it's true. I struggle with it, but I think it's true. I, I do like to hide behind the practices uh, and get very narrow. And I think the idea that we have to try to bring our whole selves to what's going on is a fantastic lesson, even when it hurts, like it does for Yom HaShoah or maybe your Yom HaZikaron as well. Uh, and the other powerful thing I'm taking away is how communally or nationally you connect to all of these things, that the whole time you've gone from thinking about your own personal story to this wider picture of what's going on around you. Uh, and I think that that's also a fantastic lesson that maybe that's why we have these days is so we can share them with one another i think so you've given us some good homework uh looking forward anything else you want to tell us before we uh before we close well Chag sameach. I, you know i have to just ask even though i realized i was going to close do you feel these days as part of the holiday cycle like when you read these you have these holidays in the tanakh and then we have the two rabbinic holidays of Purim and Hanukkah. And do you feel these days also as part of the Jewish people's holiday cycle? I think my answer might not be the one that you want me to get. I don't have a preferred answer. There's something about my guilt of the fact that we can come up with our own traditions for these um, modern national holidays that makes me think, well, since I got to make it up, it must not be real. So I don't really associate them in my head in the same way. They have a lot of import, as I said before, but there's something just like, ugh, if I got to make up the tradition, must not be good. I hear that. If it's not in the Bible, then uh, why am I doing it? I, I get that. At the same time, I think, well, maybe, you know, after 300 years of doing Yom Ha'atzma'ut, that uh, it will feel for, for many people as being part of that cycle. Tune in to the international Chidon Tanakh, the Bible quiz. That's another one of my family's traditions on Yom HaAtzma'ut. We watch it every Yom HaAtzma'ut morning and see what we do and don't know. So you're sneaking the Bible back into Yom HaAtzma'ut. I got it. Okay. Aviva, thank you very much for your time. I want to wish all of you, I guess if you're listening to this before Shabbat, and if you're listening to this before Yom HaTzmaut, Yom HaZikaron, a meaningful and happy Yom HaZikaron, Yom HaTzmaut. And uh, please continue listening to our Parsha podcast. Thank you, Aviva. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. 
Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Tune in next week as Rabbi Tzvi Hirschfeld and Rabbi Yedidya Sinclair discuss Parashat Behar. Thanks for listening.